When Chris and I were first married, she introduced me to the idea of empty calories, foods that you could eat, but that would give you little to no nutrition. By the way, this was how she described many of the things I had grown used to eating in college. This week, we study Isaiah 13 through 35 and look at the things Isaiah describes that are the spiritual version of empty calories and, conversely, and much more importantly, the things that truly feed the soul. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode. Uh, We are week two of our study of Isaiah. This week is chapters 13 through 35, selections therefrom. And I want to start with a story I came across a couple of years ago as um, I was kind of making my way through some classic general conferences. So this is October of 1971. It's uh, Elder Theodore Tuttle of the 70. He was the presidency of the 70 this time. And he tells this story. So I'm quoting him. He says, Some years ago, I read an editorial in the Deseret News entitled The Mechanical Rabbit. And I quote, Most of our readers must have smiled the other day when they read of the greyhounds in Britain who didn't know a rabbit when they see one. So long had they chased a mechanical rabbit around the racetrack that when a real rabbit bounded across the track, the dogs didn't give it a second look. Stupid, right? But sad, too, this perverting of the natural instincts. We chase mechanical rabbits, too. We chase paychecks and don't give a second look to the glint of the rising sun on a snow-topped peak. We chase our way through the appointments of a crowded desk calendar and fail to take time to chat with the next-door neighbor or to drop in on a sick friend. We chase social pleasures on a glittering, noisy treadmill and ignore the privilege of a quiet hour telling bedtime stories to an innocent-eyed child. We chase prestige and wealth, and don't recognize the real opportunities for joy that cross our paths. Wordsworth said words appropriate to this condition. The world is too much with us, late and soon. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Race on, you poor blind, over-civilized hounds. You'll never catch your rabbit until you learn to recognize a genuine one. But you'll have company in your race, the company of unnumbered men who'll never catch the joy they chase until they, too, learn to recognize a genuine one. And then Elder Tuttle concludes, this is him now saying, This points up our challenge. See that the things that matter most are not at the mercy of things that matter least. Someone rephrased this thought, too often we are involved in the thick of thin things. Now, I've heard that phrase. You probably have heard it too, the thick of thin things. President Monson uh, quoted at least a couple of times in different talks and addresses he gave. Elder Tuttle here is quoting, uh, at the very least, Elder Marvin J. Ashton, who used that phrase in a devotional talk he gave in BYU And it's a captivating line, the thick of thin things. One of my favorite quotes that I would always read to students at the beginning of a seminary school year comes from Elder Scott. And he said, 
that Satan has a powerful tool to use against good people. It is distraction. He would have good people fill life with good things so there's no room left for the essential ones. And then he asked the piercing question, have you unconsciously been caught in that trap? And we would talk about the difference between good things and essential things. What I love about Elder Scott's quote is that it's not Satan's tool to use against bad people. This is focus on good people. And the tool that he uses against good people isn't, at least outright, sin. It's just distraction from essential things. He would have them, to use Elder Tuttle's words, get caught in the thick of thin things. Well, in our study this week, that is at least one of the problems that Isaiah sees in the kingdom of Judah that he's trying to save from destruction. If you remember last week, the northern kingdom of Syria has been or will be as being attacked by Assyria. Uh, sorry, the northern kingdom of Israel is being attacked by Assyria. And Isaiah's message to Judah is uh, that if they're not careful, the same thing will happen to them. Um, and so in these chapters, starting in chapter 13, he names different nations and then he will describe either what is happening in that nation or what the Lord will use that nation to do to Judah. So chapter 13, verse 1, the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, did see. Babylon at this time in history isn't really a world player. It's an up-and-coming nation. Eventually, of course, Babylon will conquer Assyria, and Babylon will be the one that conquers uh, Judah, destroys the temple in Jerusalem. Lehi and his family leave because of that. And so these two chapters, 13 and 14, are about Babylon. And then in 15, the burden of Moab, another uh, nation in and around that area that will be caught up in all of these wars. In 17, the burden of Damascus. In 19, the burden of Egypt. And then he uses description, descriptive language in 21 and 22, the first to describe Babylon, verse, chapter 21, the burden of the desert of the sea, that's Babylon. And then chapter 22, the burden of the valley of vision, which is Jerusalem. And then oh, chapter 23, the burden of Tyre. And then in chapter 24, um, he describes the result that happens because of this um, these, these different countries, their different maladies, and the, the affliction that they'll cause both themselves and, of course, um, to, to uh, Judah. In chapter 24, verse 1, here's the image that Isaiah uses to describe what's going on. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty, and maketh it waste, and turneth it upside down, and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. Then in, in verse 3, The land shall be utterly emptied, and utterly spoiled, for the Lord hath spoken this word. The earth mourneth, and fadeth away. The world languisheth, and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. The new wine mourneth, the vine languisheth, and the merry-hearted do sigh. 
the next couple of verses, he describes how even their, their celebrations are without, um, without joy. Uh, and then in 12, the city is left desolation and the gate is smitten with destruction. And then what I think is a pretty chilling verse, verse 16 in chapter 24. From the uttermost part of the earth have we heard songs, even glory to the righteous. But I said, my leanness, my leanness, woe unto me. In other words, what Isaiah is describing is a world that is caught up in thin things. And because of their their fascination with worldly pleasures and the thin things, uh, they bring upon themselves desolation, emptiness, languishing. Uh, it's a world in starvation. Now, if we pause there and ask ourselves just what that might have to do with us, um, it's not that much of a stretch to find uh, or to make a list of thin things, or as other Scott would say, good things that press in on us so much so that we might feel desolate, that we might feel like we are languishing or starving. Not because we're caught up in sin or temptation, just because we're caught up and are so busy and so spread that we feel like Isaiah is describing here, my leanness. And so to that problem, um, Isaiah prophesies in chapter 25 of something that I have come to love about the Lord. This is chapter 25, verse 6. And in the mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. And he will destroy this mountain of Uh, And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces and the rebuke of his people shall be taken away from off the earth for the Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is our Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The thing that I love that Isaiah describes here that I have come to love about the Lord is actually two things. Number one, I love that the Lord is the Lord of the feast, where the thin things that might be captivating in the world that we live in leave us languishing or starving. The Lord knows how to provide a feast. He knows how to give us things that fill us up from our soul. I have experienced that. I am one that is perpetually struggling with my to-do lists and my schedules and my calendars and all of the good things that I have to do in a day or a week or a month. But often I find myself at the end of that day, week, or month, having chased so many good things I find myself just empty. And what I have learned is that when I can turn to the Lord, uh, he can give me a feast of things. He can help me to do things that fill my soul and I think help me much better fill lives and hearts and souls of the people around me. 
That's the first thing I love in that phrase. The second thing uh, is the fat things. Uh, With so many different uh, thin things around us, I have come to gain a testimony that Heavenly Father knows exactly what things are most essential. And if we'll listen, he will often help us to filter through all of the things that we have and find the ones that are most essential. Um, The ones that are the fat things that we should be spending our time and our efforts on. Now that's difficult because it requires of us uh, some, some not only discernment to find the difference between thin things and fat things, but it also requires from us some boldness and bravery to start saying no to the thin things. Um, that's a difficult thing. I'm, I'm practicing it right now in my own life, trying to be better at recognizing that I just don't have enough time in a day to do all of the things that I could be done or that could be done or that maybe I feel like should be done. And to be able then to say, well, there are a couple of fat things that I can do today. The Lord can help me find them. Things that really make a difference for others or really make a difference for me. And to the other thin things, I have to learn how to say no. And so I think that as you study Isaiah this week, I think this is a great block of scripture to look for fat things. Uh, And I want to give two uh, helps that I think might guide you in that study. Of course, you know, if you've been listening to our podcast, we're not about giving you the highlight insights because those will come from God to you as you study the scriptures. But I do want to give you some places you might look, some ideas, uh, microscopes, if you will, that might help you to identify fat things in these chapters. And the two microscopes, if you will, the two magnifying glasses that I think are really helpful. I'm actually drawing from our episode last week. So if you listen last week, we talked about uh, there are any number of keys to understanding Isaiah. You can learn the geography, and you can learn the history, and you can make sure you know the names, and you can learn symbolic or po- uh, Hebrew poetry, and you can. And all of that is helpful. All of it is really good. But if we're talking about the fat things of understanding Isaiah, so that we don't get caught in the thick of thin things, uh, you can spend hours and hours trying to understand Middle Eastern geography, um, and it is helpful, but I think there are two things, and we talked about this last week, two things that are more helpful than that. One of them is to focus on Christ in your study, and the other one is to, as Nephi said, liken Isaiah to yourself, to look for yourself in the story. And so these two lenses help us out this week as we look for fat things. So the first one, borrowing from that likening from last week, is to look for things that cause leanness in your study this week. This is a pretty, can be a pretty depressing block of scripture because there is so much leanness. But as you're reading through, identify the things that are causing this this desolation um, to these people and see if there's any of that present in your life. I'll give you one example. Isaiah chapter 14 is a fairly well-known one. It's one of the Book of Mormon Isaiah chapters. Um, in the Book of Mormon, we, we miss um, a little bit of the context in which the chapter is, is given um, with these multiple nations that Isaiah is speaking to. And so just to plug in, this is chapter 13, verse 1, where Isaiah says, The burden of Babylon 
Chapter 14, verse 4, Isaiah addresses comments to the king of Babylon. And then we read, as Isaiah is speaking to the king of Babylon, these verses, starting in verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? Now, as you may already know about Isaiah, I can't remember if we've mentioned this or not, but Isaiah is uh, like many prophets, but he's kind of unique even among them, uh, a possessor of a skill, which is to describe something happening in his day that is also happening in multiple future uh, time periods. So he can describe something that's happening in his day that will also happen in 100, 200 years. So for example, Isaiah describes Assyria um, and then in 200 years or 150 years, it'll be Babylon that's doing the same thing to Judah that Assyria did to Israel. And then in 600 years later on from that, in the meridian of time when Jesus is born, it'll be the Romans that are doing that same thing to the kingdom of Israel or the former kingdom of Israel and Judah. And then to look forward to the second coming of Christ at our day and see the same thing. If you can imagine, Isaiah has this, this funnel in front of him, a vision where he'll describe what he's seeing most immediately in front of him. But that's also true about what's happening in 150 years, what's happening in 600 years or 750 years, and then what's happening uh, in our day, almost 3,000 years in his future. And so as he describes the king of Babylon and calls him Lucifer, son of the morning, the fallen, He's also, of course, looking backwards at pre-mortal existence, but looking forward at our day when Lucifer will be revealed. And so to read it again with that lens, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne upon the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I hear people say this quite often when they describe the quote-unquote war in heaven, and they'll say that Heavenly Father asked for a plan. Jesus proposed a plan. Lucifer proposed a plan. Heavenly Father liked Jesus' plan more, and so Lucifer got kicked out of heaven. That is not at all doctrinally accurate. Heavenly Father proposed a plan. Heavenly Father didn't even propose. He had a plan. And that plan was that Jehovah, Jesus, who was his chosen from the beginning, would come to earth and mediate this plan. Lucifer did not propose an alternate plan. What he did was rebel against the plan. And this is his rebellion. I will ascend into heaven and exalt my throne above the stars of God without the use of the mediator. That was Lucifer's rebellion. I will become like God without using Jesus, the mediator. And that's not the plan. It is not possible. And so for that rebellion, that's why Lucifer falls from heaven. And he takes that same war to earth. And it's no surprise that his biggest attack is to get us in any way possible detached from the mediator of the plan of happiness. What's What I love about these verses, though, is that's the cause of leanness. The further we separate ourselves from Christ and the further we tend to boast our own strength and seek to exalt ourselves above the throne of God, 
the more leanness we will experience. But I also love these verses, starting in verse 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit, and they that see thee, meaning us, shall narrowly look upon thee, picture this, squinting at him, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake the kingdom, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? In other words, in the last days, we will become adept at identifying Lucifer's deceptions, so much so that we'll be able to look at him and say, this is it? This is the man that caused the earth to tremble and that brought so much leanness and pain into the world? I don't need this. Very similar to Moses' experience with Satan. You remember after Moses sees the Lord and then sees right after that Lucifer, and his response to Lucifer is, where is your glory that I should worship you? I have just seen God and his glory has not departed from me. Therefore, I can tell the difference between him and you. Get out of here. So there's one place to identify leanness. One example, uh, when we dis distance ourselves from the Savior and when we seek to exalt ourselves without, use, without our attachment or relationship to the mediator, that will bring leanness into our lives. The second thing we can do uh, to, I think, crack open these chapters is, again, borrowing from last week, the first thing was likening scriptures. The second thing, of course, is centering on Christ. It's a wonderful study in these chapters to look for fat things that you feel especially apply to you and the situation you're going in, especially if you have already identified a particular leanness that you might have in your life. If I can identify the things that are causing the leanness, if I can identify the thin things that are distracting me and exhausting my strength and leaving me empty, well, one step is, of course, to get rid of those, but then to replace it with not, if I'm getting rid of 10 thin things, I'm not going to replace it with 10 other things. I'm going to replace it with one fat thing that I can feast on that will make a difference. And there are so many of these in these chapters. Uh, just a couple. Chapter 29 Woe to Ariel, which is Jerusalem. And then there's a description starting in verse 8. <clears throat> it shall even be as when a hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. So shall the multitude of the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. So there's that leanness. But then listen for the fatness, the, the feast, the thing that God wants us to replace that leanness with. Um, if you look down and starting in verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudence shall be hid and then he says in verse 17, Is it not yet a little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Now, if you're noting the chapter heading, this is one of those Book of Mormon Isaiah chapters. This has been... Uh, used, taught by prophets repeatedly. 
as a very clear indication, a very clear prophetic indication of the coming of the Book of Mormon, which will provide fatness. It will filter through the myriad of thin things that we can find in worldly traditions and philosophies um, and get right to the heart of the things that really matter. Um, I've wondered a lot, why is it that we preference the Book of Mormon so much in our church? Uh, all scripture is wonderful. It's all divinely inspired, and we all have favorite verses and favorite books. But I think at least one reason why the Book of Mormon is what it is is because there was a winnowing process for the Book of Mormon. There was a filtering process. It is not just the collected records of a people. It's prophets who were commanded to write only the most precious things. Nephi tells us that. I write nothing on these plates, save it be precious. So there's a filter that Nephi is going through. He's already filtering through everything he could write. Remember, he makes those two plates, the large plates and the small plates, and he tells us on the large plates, I'm putting everything about the kings and the rule and the history, but on these small plates, I'm just putting the things that are most precious. So Nephi filters that, and so do the other prophets that write on the small plates. And then when Mormon comes along, he takes the, the large plates and the small plates, and he filters it even more. He takes the large plates and he sifts through them to find only the things that are of most worth. And so the Book of Mormon is this prophetically sifted book that can give us the fat things that really matter. It's one of the reasons I love the Book of Mormon, because as you read on every page, it's dripping with purpose, with Christ-centered purpose. And that's what Isaiah sees in this, in this dream where a man wakes and is hungry and dreams that he's eating but is hungry, dreams that he's drinking but is faint, his soul has appetite into that starvation, the Lord inserts the words of this book that provides the fatness that we're looking for. So that's one example of looking for fatness. Chapter 30, verses 20 through 21. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, Yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. Um, I love that as a description for the Holy Ghost. What better way to describe the influence of the Holy Ghost? A voice behind you, in your ear, saying, This is the way, uh, walk ye in it. And so, I, chapter 30, I think there's some beautiful places to study the influence of uh, the Spirit. To give just one more, and maybe this is our concluding one, in chapter 35, uh, again, listen for the, the leanness and then the fatness, starting in verse 1. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. And then some of these beautiful verses. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert and the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. And then verse 8, And a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. 
Um, now you can make of that. There are so many places in there where you could ask yourself, what is the fat thing? What is it that helps us to leap when we're lame or to see when we're blind? Um, there are some great New Testament connections there that you could deepen your study with and look at exactly what the Savior does to help those that are lacking, whether it's blind or deaf or lame, to be able to gain the things that they need, the fat things they need to fill their souls and to heal them both physically and spiritually. Another great place to study. So those are some places that I've found. Of course, you'll find your own places where you can find fat things. Now, one word of caution, because I know this happens to me all the time. When you go to the scriptures, especially if you're hungry, you will find so many things that can feed you. However, if you spread those things out, they then become thinner and thinner. And so I know I'm one to go to the scriptures and make a list of 10 things I'm going to do better. My advice would just be to find one fat thing that you can ponder and apply and work on this week that you sense might make a difference in your life or in the lives of someone that you love. Thank you so much for studying with me this week, and we'll see you next episode.